Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Tuesday, September the 13th, 2022. Uh, do so many shows about two things, two simultaneously, seemingly parallel crises. The crisis of social media. Uh, we did a show recently with Bill George, the former CEO um, uh, of uh, a large medical company and a faculty member at Harvard Business School, telling all leaders that they need to get off social media. According to one uh, guest we had recently, Dan Brooks, social media is destroying both comedy and morality not just that it's killing romantic love according to another guest deborah spa uh, we may indeed be entertaining ourselves to death on social media networks like tiktok at least according to chris stokel walker who just has a new book out about tiktok meanwhile the mental health crisis is afflicting uh the young especially american young women according to another guest kylie Leddy. Uh, Thomas Insel, very influential uh, medical doctor, has been on the show talking about the broader context of the pandemic of mental health. Uh, Lucy Foltz came on recently talking about the impact of COVID on mental health. And we did a very chilling show recently with Kathleen Hale about the slender man stabbing and the impact of social media on that. According to my guest today, these aren't parallel crises. They're bound up together. Uh, indeed, there's a, an, a, there's a war, not just um, uh, a crisis, a war at home, he wrote, or he co-authored a piece in The Hill a few months ago, an attack on our mental health from, yes, you've guessed it, social media. It's being waged by big tech, um, and it is profoundly affecting uh, our young people. Um, the name of uh, the author is Dr. Nicholas Carderas. He had a, uh, a piece recently, also actually a few years ago, called um, or describing social media as digital heroin. And appropriately enough, he has a new book out called Out Today, called Digital Madness, How Social Media is Driving Our Mental Health Crisis and How to Restore Sanity. Uh, Dr. K is joining us today from his home office. Uh, Dr. K, where are you? I am in uh, Sag Harbor, New York, on the eastern end of Long Island by the water, and it's a pleasure to be here with you. So, Dr. K, I hope you're not simultaneously on your Facebook page or your Twitter page. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm juggling. I'm spit once like the Ed Sullivan show. Yes, I'm trying not to multitask as we do this. So let's talk in all seriousness, Dr. K, about digital madness. For you, this parallel crises of social media and of our mental health, particularly young people's mental health, they're part of the same crisis. Is that fair? Absolutely. In extreme, one step forward technology, two steps backwards for humanity. And the research is fairly clear on this, that as we progress ever forward as a more technologically evolved society, we regress as a more logically impaired society. And there's been really clear, clear data that really connects some of the dots between 
our crisis of depression, loneliness, suicide, anxiety, attentional deficit issues, uh, psychiatric disorders. These were at an all-time high right by the pandemic. In 2019, we were in the worst psychiatric metrics on record. And then the pandemic, which acted as a beta, essentially exacerbated our tech love affair dependence, where everything became remote schooling and Zoom, grandma, our lives became entirely online. We saw these dynamics amplified. We saw suicide rates increase, depression rates spiked. As So the numbers where screen time doubled, depression rates tripled in some areas, and, and so did suicides and overdoses and all those other issues. The, the, the main thesis here is that we just weren't evolutionarily designed to be sedentary, screen-staring, uh, devoid of meaning creatures. Um, it's antithetical to the way we, we've been hardwired to live, and so our technology has far outpaced our evolution, and now we're beginning to see some of those consequences. Yeah, we've had these scares before, Dr. K, haven't we? People said the same thing about television. Absolutely. They said the same thing about books. They said the same thing about radio, and we've mm -hmm. always pulled through. Um, is there really? I mean, you keep on. Whenever someone comes on my show and talks about the data and the research suggests, uh, I'm always suspicious mm -hmm. that uh, there really isn't a case because you can always find research for anything. Um, well, that, that, where is, that, that's true. Where, what's that's the true. argument to directly connect? I understand that we use social media a lot, and I understand that um, uh, that particularly young people's mental health it, it seems to be quite fragile. But what's the connection? There are many other things that we're doing. Why not connect uh, COVID, for example, with uh, with the crisis of mental health? Well, as, as I said before. Before the crisis was reaching its a tipping point right before COVID, we were getting very, very well. And again, it was there was a correlation, and we'll talk about causation. But there was a correlation where it seemed more, uh, immersed in technology, we were getting more and well. And and there's been several studies that that connect. There's been uh, several. There's been a handful of studies that looked at what was called the social comparison effect that looked at Facebook that really looked at the number of uh, the number of the amount of time spent on social media the number of friends one had on social media directly correlated their propensity to being clinically depressed so more more Facebook friends equaled more clinical depression or, or the higher rates of clinical depression and there were four or five peer-reviewed studies that showed that clear relationship between uh, social media and depression Again, largely due to this dynamic called the comparison effect, that the social comparison me, effect. Uh, Dr. K, that makes me feel a lot better, actually, about myself, because I don't have any social media friends. No one wants to be friends with me. <laughs> Are you suggesting then that I'm actually rather sane? That the, the fewer friends Perhaps. you have, the more sane you are? Well, the fewer digital synthetic friends you have, because I think that's the problem. I think we're, we're hard, we're a hardwired social species evolutionarily because the tribe survived and it's in our psychological DNA to have relationships and connection. But the, the format that we're being given these connections through the digital means is sort of an illusory friend connection. This isn't the, the format that we need to sustain our mental health. And, and I get the point that we were making early moral panic. I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I've, I, I was uh, 
a tech utopianist at one point. I was a believer that, you know, I grew up on Star Trek, so I'm a Gene Roddenberry fan, and he believed that technology was going to be the great cure-all for our society. There'd be no more world hunger, there'd be peace on Earth, and, and all these other promises of a tech utopianist world. But you're right, there was a moral panic that came out with, with Superman and from radio to television, and that Plato thought was going to erode our memory. And fizzy drinks, and... Um... Uh, and, and fast food and sex and no sex, everything seems to encourage fear and, uh, and, and, right. and, and, and talk of one kind of pandemic or another. Except in this case, <laughs> except in this case. Yeah, it's always that. That's always, uh, Dr. K, it's always well, well, except in this case, this one's for real. Well, you know, at, at a point, you know, the boy that cries is wolf, the wolf can eventually at some point Come and so, um, because what we're looking <laughs> at is we've digital, shifted. Even it's if it's a, a digital village, Doctor K, a, a digital wolf. Even if it's a digital, <laughs> the digital wolf is more insidious because it's entering our brains. I, I wish it was only something that we could build a gate, or because the gatekeepers of our thoughts now are the tech oligarchs, um, and that's really part of the problem. I think that the machinery that's been based, the predictive algorithm, social media, and their shaping influence on a very vulnerable society has been more insidious than some of the earlier moral panics. Um, I'm a psychologist, and you know, when I first got into the field 25 years ago, they were blaming Vogue and Anna Windor for anorexia. The fashion industry, Kate Moss, heroin chic, was going to be responsible for uh, the spike that we were seeing at that point in the anorexia medium was a static magazine sitting on a coffee table and, and it did have a, a shaping influence on young women's body image and that was something that they interacted with on a very sort of peripheral basis now you have 24 7 imagery really drilled into young people's heads that have a much more significant shaping and that's what we're talking about a more invasive and pervasive effect because of the ubiquity because of the interactive of the modern digital landscape. It's not the same as just reading a magazine was 20 years ago or 30 or 40 years ago, or even 10 years ago. Um, the effect is more um, shaping. And I've seen it because I run treatment programs. So I've worked with young people who are in Yeah, you, you uh, I actually wouldn't mind thing. being one of your patients because you run programs in Maui and uh, all over the place in, in some very nice parts. So uh, awesome I, I wish I wish I was more addicted, Dr. K, because then I could come to one of your retreats. Um, let's talk. There's always more time. There's always time. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I need to get more friends on Facebook um, and then I can come to Maui with you. Uh, let's talk about addiction. Uh, last night I saw Nicholas Rogue's classic film, The Man Who Fell to Earth with David Bowie. It's about a 40-year-old right. film. It's about a man who fell to Earth. And of course, he became like everybody else, addicted to something. He became an alcoholic. What's the difference between what you call our digital madness, our addiction to social media, Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, and alcoholism or, or, or other forms of mm. drug addiction? Yeah, so, so the behavioral addictions versus the process and the other so the substance addictions differ from the what we call the behavioral addictions which are fall under an umbrella called process addiction um there's a lot of 
similarities, quite honestly. I um, started my career and as a professor in the medical school teaching, I was the addiction specialist and we teach about the neurophysiology of it and you know, a person can get physically dependent on something like alcohol or cocaine or heroin. Um, the difference, the differences are very similar because there's been fMRI research that shows what happens to the prefrontal cortex with chronic substance addiction and chronic excessive screen time. There's been 10 very good studies, brain imaging studies, that show that the effects on that part of our brain that really allows us to consequentially think. Essentially, the prefrontal cortex is where our executive functioning, our ability to not be imposed. Um, over time, that part of the brain begins to literally atrophy and shrink. Uh, that It's called the DGM. The dense gray matter begins to shrink, which comp person's ability to not be impulsive towards a particular behavior. You know, with, with substance addiction, a person can develop a physical dependency, and we know that about 10% of the population are predisposed towards any and all manner of addiction. So if I have a genetic predisposition towards addictive behaviors and I get exposed to alcohol, I might become an alcoholic. If I get exposed to, to gambling, I might find gambling to be my, my addictive elixir. The, the difference with the digital landscape is it's so ubiquitous and socially accepted that it's really challenging to, A, not from the digital rabbit hole if you do, if you are prone towards that. And it's, it's when I work with young people, like I've worked, you know, there's two flavors of digital addiction. One is men who fall into gaming addiction and lose themselves in synthetic worlds where their avatars are slaying galactic warriors and they're gaming 18, 20 hours a day and they're living totally synthetic lives because they can't stand the reality of their own life. And the second one is young women who are shaped by social media and their self-identity is shaped by their body yeah, image. Or the, their the, the Slender Man phenomenon that we, we oh, talked about. Man. You, you, um, yeah. And so, sorry, go on. Well, and, and my, my, my point, I was going to say that the alcoholic is oftentimes much easier and simpler. You do a detox of a very happy life, apps without alcohol and without drugs. Once you address some of the underlying issues that a person may have been suffering with my gamer clients, their whole identity is wrapped around their success, their so-called success as gamers. They've retained level megastardom, 138, you know, whatever the, the metric is that they measure success in the gaming world. And, and, and now they've become dysfunctional. They're, they're wearing adult diapers. They're not, they're flunking out of college and they're just sitting in a chair gaming to the point of total self-destruction, but yet they've achieved a certain level of success in their gaming worlds and challenging having those people a narrative that something's wrong in their lives because they feel that they've reached the top of the food chain in their gaming platforms similarly with social media world that they live in it's the world uh, for better or worse we all live in except for me because i don't have any digital friends uh, <laughs> i don't have any real world friends either that's another question i'll have to talk to you offline about that dr k um of course you uh you're, you're quite forthright in your bio you're a ivy league educated uh, doctor but uh you've had a, a an interesting what you call a colorful life you're a former karate champion a recovering uh, new york city nightclub owner uh, owner and coma survivor uh mm -hmm. and you've had your your brushes with drugs and alcohol. Um, what does 
your how is your life your your pre Dr K life helped in terms of making sense of our current dilemma of digital madness? Yeah. And, and thank you for asking that question. Those dots don't often get connected sometimes when I speak to people about this. I think my prior life where I fell down the world of drugs and alcohol and let's call it the, uh, you know, which is a very shallow and superficial existence. Uh, eventually, at the end of the day, it led me to a crisis of emptiness. You know, when you're, you're living a superficial existence where people are judged by the shoes that they're wearing or who who gets into, who's on a VI. I was a lower middle class. I was a Greek immigrant son who um, got into an Ivy League school on a scholarship, but I came from humble beginnings. I did not come with a silver spoon planted in my mouth and um, had to struggle my way up and landed by hard work and luck as a young man, able to open up these venues back in the mid-80s and early 90s that had a lot of celebrities and things of that nature. And eventually, I wound myself. I wound up being profoundly empty, self-loathing, suicidal, and addicted to heroin. And and again, that was a crisis of emptiness. Cut fast forward twenty years. I go back to school. I get a couple of graduate degrees, a PhD, and now I'm seeing a whole generation of young people who are beat and informed by influencers who are as vapid and, and as uh, empty as some of the people that I was rose with, currents of this uh, toxicity. The toxicity isn't just the gossip column in the newspaper and page six of the New York Post. Now the toxicity of values and the, the corrosive effect of toxic influencers is so pervasive. It's that life on, on it's, well, it's turbocharged or it's on steroids. And, so we're seeing young people, my clients who are 17, feel empty and they have no sense of core values or sense of self-identity. And they're looking for love in all the wrong as I was to some degree. And they're finding community and sometimes toxic support or chat rooms. They're finding uh, influences in both psychiatric influencers who are getting hundreds of millions of views, TikTok, Tourette's, and dissociative disorder, because performers, let's face it, the coin of the realm in social media is people with the most over-the-top behavior. That's what feeds, uh, that, that's what gain, gains the most uh, followers. Uh, you're not going to have a thoughtful person like yourself having an informed discourse. You're going to have a performative, psychiatrically unwell person who's got 200 million views as their switching between identities in the dissociative identity disorder uh, uh, TikTok video. And and then now uh, we're seeing that their K, followers let, are beginning let, let, to let think that. And, uh, let me try and join some other dots in your life. You mentioned earlier the sort of delusionary sure. nature of life. You also mentioned um, that your background is Greek. So, of course, Plato will come up. You wrote a book about hmm. Plato, how Plato and Pythagoras can save your life, the ancient Greek prescription for health and happiness. You wrote that back in 2011. You've also uh, written uh, mm -hmm. Glow Kids, another book about the impact mm -hmm. of tech on kids. Um, can Plato help with this? Plato, of course, um, was uh, pre-scientific or at least uh, pre-scientific mm -hmm. in the modern sense. 
should some of these kids start reading Plato or at least Pythagoras or perhaps go and spend some time on a Greek island and mm -hmm. trash their phones? <laughs> well, it's funny that you say that because in my most recent book, Digital Madness, that is the antidote. The antidote to the modern is the ancient. Uh, we've lost the ways of some of our ancient wisdom. And I think one of the, the main contributions of old white men and togas being so demonized today was uh, an embrace of critical thinking, ethics, civics, um, words that are almost active in public schools in the United States today. Um, and so what's lacking is a sense of mooring, uh, a sense of transcendent identity that really supersedes uh, the clothes we wear, the shoes, or the influencer, you know, the, the Kylie Jenner effect. So I do have Plato and the values embraced therein, the transcendent ability to look up at the night sky and question who am I, what am I, on a deeper or meaningful level to really find genuine purpose and meaning in our lives is the immunizing antidote to this new toxin. I, I happen to think that that is exactly right. Some people, of course, won't have the time, for better or worse, to even pick up Plato um, or to go to a Greek island. And a lot of people with kids who seem addicted to social media will struggle to convince their kids to read a platonic dialogue. Uh, you had an interesting Forbes piece recently, five ways to help teens find their bliss and reduce screen time. Could you go through some of these more practical fixes because there are going to be a lot of parents and brothers and sisters listening to this who will recognize the kind of digital madness in their children and aren't quite sure how to begin and don't necessarily want to begin by bringing them to a physician like yourself or mm -hmm. taking them to one of your retreats. They may not be able to afford your retreat on Maui. How, how to begin with this, Dr. K? What's a practical way forward? Five or, or not even five, two or three practical ways to begin to address our digital madness. So I, I do have two for self. So I'm, I'm in the fight as well as having young ones who are swimming in, in the culture that we all live in. Um, so so I, I speak in the language of psychological immune system that we're not going to eliminate social media. We're not going to eliminate the digital world. I'm not suggesting that we all go Amish or that we all become Luddites. I understand that we live in the modern world and I embrace it. Uh, I'm not anti-technology. What I am suggesting is that we lean into strengthening our psychological immune system. Unfortunately, for a variety of other complex sociological factors, our young people, uh, when I was a university professor for 10 years, were becoming increasingly more reactive less critical thinkers, more emotive, um, and, and they're with a compromised psychological immune system, which, as if you read my book, you'll see I do think is part and parcel of this social media world that we're living in. It, it feeds off of lizard brain reactivity, and it rewards it with more of that content. So we're, we're creating young people who are more reactive. And so how do we, how do we, so countervailing forces like uh, uh, musical interests and creative interests and passion and pursuits in ways that can be healthy to help really strengthen a young person's psychological immune system. Um, it's healthy for to have our kids fall down, scrape their knee and lift themselves back up, up and learn the art of resilience and grit. 
So often we bubble wrap our children with helicopter parenting techniques that have been written about ad nauseum, but there's a direct relationship. The, the helicopter-raised child who's been bubble wrapped by parents doesn't have the resilience to navigate through the turbulent influences of things like shaping social media. So we need to start teaching and encouraging our young kids to lean into experiences that are healthier for them. Uh, not just sitting on the couch all day playing, uh, you know, World of Warcraft for, for 12 hours because it's the easy way out as a parent. Because let's face it, the digital babysitter is is a really easy way out for many parents. It's hard to, to raise a kid in a more uh, traditional way uh, in today's landscape. Well, there you have it from the great Dr. K. Dr. Nicholas Carderas, his new book out is... Today, it's out right today, uh, September the 13th, 2022, Digital Madness, How Social Media is Driving Our Mental Health Crisis and How to Restore Our Sanity. He seems very sane, and I think the message is an important one, so I strongly encourage the reading of the book. Congratulations, Dr. K, on the new book, your third, you. and I hope we'll have many more, and you'll come back on the show. What else are you reading these days, uh, in addition to Plato, of course? Actually, I'm a big fan of Nikos Kazantzakis, so I was just rereading Zorba the Greek, not to keep it on ah. the same theme. I, I'm a one-trick pony, but but that's there's a lot of wisdom there as well. And feel I would, if you need a social media friend, we could, you know, we could talk about that. I, I can help you in your isolation if you'd like. Where can I get a special rate, Dr. K? We have scholarship programs. We are not a highfalutin program. We're insurance-based. We take all comers. Yeah, well, I'm going to apply for one of your scholarships. <laughs> With pleasure. It was a pleasure to speak to you.